speaks. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to get mad that she said Mr. John because you heard the accent, right? And she's from South Carolina. So people in the South show manner. Hey, that's great. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm, I'm from Louisiana, so I get it. Mr. Mrs. Okay. Um, hey, I'm pumped to be with you guys. I'm the director of Campus to Campus. That's an organization that works with the SALT Network and churches outside of the network to plant churches all across the globe. And as you could probably figure out from the name Campus to Campus, our main entry point are students all over the world. And so my family and I lived in China for 11 years and we have teams on campuses like in Bangkok and Taiwan, um, soon to be in Japan and other places, but they reach students there in order to introduce them to Christ and see churches planted. So I wanna give away a shirt because who doesn't want a free shirt, right? Um, so I'm wearing the old one. I know, I know. I'm gonna make you earn it because that's not like God's grace. So, okay, here we go. Um, so I'm gonna ask you a question. Yeah, you gotta get this. This is not gonna be an easy one. Um, what year was DMAC founded in? Night. What? You're just throwing out numbers. I like that though, 1902. Wait, what do you got? Close. Who said 66? Truly, oh, wait, wait. Okay, the two of y'all have to farkle for it. Rock, papers, you did, okay. Hey, right back here, we got it, go Bears. All right, <laughs> let's go. All right, hey. Hey, it's, imp it's important to have a good mascot, right? I mean, I grew up an LSU guy, so Tigers, but I like Bears. They've been around a long time. And, and bears, go bears. You know, bears are sensitive, they're omnivores. They don't just eat meat. I appreciate that. Um, okay, hey, we're gonna <laughs> pivot quickly. Will you stand for the reading of the word, please? Um, we're gonna be in Psalm 67, so stand. You're like, is he joking? No, I'm not joking, stand. Uh, stand and open your Bible to Psalm 67 if you have one, or your phone, turn there. It's in the Old Testament, Psalm 67. It's beautiful outside, you, more exercise, let's go. We stand for a lot of things, but there's very few things like the word of God. So let's stand as we hear the word of the Lord. Verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I have... I have a question and I have one big idea tonight. Okay, this is a question that a, a pastor has, I've heard him ask it for years, John Piper, and I think this question is a great question to start with. So let me ask you this. We're, we're in the series Living on Purpose, right? So as we consider living on purpose, consider this question. Do you feel more loved by God when he makes much of you or when God, at great cost to his son Jesus, frees you to enjoy making much of him forever. So let me ask again, do you feel more loved by God when he makes a big deal about you 
or when God at great cost to his son frees you to enjoy making much of him forever? So based on how you answer that question, it says a lot about how you orient yourself to God, to this world, to the things you have. It's gonna say a lot about how you're gonna hear this passage tonight and the truth that we're gonna get into. Because there's one great truth I want us to see from Psalm 67, but I hope you see that this is the anthem of all scripture, that God has blessed his people to be a blessing to all nations for the praise of Christ. God blesses his people for the praise of his name among all peoples. That's the purpose, that's the goal, that's the heart of Psalm 67. And so we're gonna look at that, we're gonna see the blessing and the purpose of God. We're gonna see the danger that can exist in our lives if we don't keep those two things together. And then we're gonna see the power that God gives us to grow in that. So living on purpose, Psalm 67. So we're gonna read it again and we're gonna look at, I'm just gonna read the first verse and we're gonna think about this blessing and this purpose in verse one. It says this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And we pause. So let me ask you, church, has God blessed us? Has God been gracious to us? Has he made his face shine upon us? This is a prayer, right? This is coming from, from, from a Jewish worshiper and he knows that God's been gracious and God has blessed them. He knows that God's made his face shine upon them, but he wants more of it. And so he's praying this and he's praying this. And now we have the privilege, of course, to look back at these words and to consider all of these truths through the cross. He was before Christ. So now we have to ask, has God been gracious and blessed us and made his face shine upon us? And we say, yes. But think about what those words mean. He's been gracious to us. A good way to think about grace, grace is something that God is not obligated to give you and you're not deserving to receive. He's unobligated and you're not deserving, nor me. <laughs> it's all of us. He's not obligated, but he gives it to us. And we're not deserving, but he gives it to us. And what does he give us? He he blesses us. And the word blessing in the scripture is a rich word. It means to, to make whole. Things that are broken, he brings it back and makes it whole. He satisfies our longings. He honors us instead of curses us. The word blessing is to honor and give life to us. And how does he, how does he honor, how is he gracious? By making his face shine upon us. That's the idea that God is smiling with joy and love over his people. He's not looking at us with a frown of judgment and condemnation, but he's saying, these are my people. This is who I love. Like, so here's the thing. This would be significant if God was just saying this was happening to you because of angels or material blessings, but God is saying, I'm the one that comes to be gracious to you. I'm the one that comes to make my face shine over you. That's incredible because of who is doing it. If you walk out of here later tonight and you're crazy enough to answer your phone call when it says telemarketer or spam. Like, okay, that's weird. But let's just say you answer it and you, you just like to answer it and hang up on people. But the telemarketer is like, whoa, 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 wait, don't hang up. I want to tell you something. And you're like, okay. And he's like, you're amazing. You're the most incredible person ever. And you hang up and you're like, creep, right? Because if they know you, that's, if they, they just call you and they've been stalking you, that's really weird. And if they don't know you, their words don't mean anything. But if you walk out of here and someone who really matters to you, a family member, a friend, calls you and says, hey, I just wanted to tell you, like, you're incredible. You're the most important person in my life. I love you. How does that make you feel? It warms your soul, right? This isn't just a loved one. This is God speaking these words over his people. 
So if you hear nothing else tonight, please hear this, that at the beginning of this Psalm, God is not saying work for me, earn something from me, prove yourself to me, run hard for me, and then I will bless you and love you. He's just saying, I come after my people. I bless them and I love them and I give grace to them, not because they deserve any of this, but it's simply because this is who I am. And so we live in a world where there's a lot of pressure to perform and live up to others' expectations. Does any of that truly matter in the face of God shining over his people? That's grace, but that's not where this psalm ends, right? You don't need to be an English major to continue to read this and see that at the end of verse one, what's there? A period or a comma? A comma. May God be gracious to us, that's the prayer, and bless us and make his face shine upon us, comma, so that, verse two, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? God, I know what it looks like to live on purpose. It means that we realize that we've been blessed with things that we don't deserve, everything we have, the air that we breathe, the physical blessings, the material blessings, the relational blessings, it all comes from you and all of that is ultimately for your glory. All of that is not to be sequestered into a cul-de-sac of spiritual living where it doesn't go anywhere else, but it's supposed to be running through you and me as a conduit to the ends of the earth. He says, I've blessed you so that other peoples who have never experienced my blessing would know me. This is the Old Testament. The psalmist is crying out saying, it's not enough for us just to take and take and and not share, but Lord, you've blessed us so that we can go to all peoples and say, there's one true God. Turn to him and be saved. And look at what they need to know. It says, God wants them to know his saving power and he wants them to know his way. When you think about the way of God, I think the best place to go is Jesus, right? We talk about the, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I think of Jesus' way, I think of a gentle and lowly king, one who has everything he needs, and yet he leaves all of that to come after his people. That's the way of Jesus. He's compassionate and just, and he forgives and he serves, and the psalmist is saying, God, I want people to know that way. Can you imagine living in a world or a town or a city where you had never experienced the way of Jesus? Like you had never heard his name, you never found out that there was one who would come to bless you and not curse you, who came to redeem you and not push you away. Can you imagine living in that? And he's saying, I don't want people to live in that. I want them to know this way. I want them to come to Jesus and look at what the result is. People sing with joy and they praise God. The result of us being blessed and going to the nations and saying, look at the king of the universe who created you and who's come to restore you. When people hear that news and believe it is they sing. They rejoice because they've met the one they were made for. So far from some oppressive mission to go and make people look like you and me, to make them become American Christians, this is a mission of liberation and freedom where we go and we say, we didn't figure out anything, but God came after us and set us free to live the life we were created for. Won't you see him, know him, because he sees you and he knows you. That's everything. So God has blessed his people to be a blessing to all peoples. Not some nations, not some towns, but all towns, all cities, all peoples, because they all came from God. That's his heart, that every family on earth would come back to him. So here's the question I think we have to ask. 
as we look at Psalm 67, is this an anomaly? Is this Psalm just kind of a weird one-off Psalm talking about the nations and God's glory going to all peoples, but this really isn't God's heart? Or is this capturing the very heart of God from Genesis to Revelation? And so let's run through the Bible in about five minutes. Genesis to Revelation in five minutes. Here we go. It may not be five minutes, so don't throw anything at me if it's not. But the question we want to see is, is it true that God has blessed his people to be a blessing to all nations, that that is the blessing and the mission that we're called to live on? So we will start with one of the most famous passages in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes up to a guy named Abraham. At that time, his name was still Abram. And this is what God says, Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is like one of the most important promises in the whole Bible. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. It creates the framework of everything else that God's gonna do, and he comes to one man, he says, hey, Abram, through you, I'm gonna create a nation and I'm gonna bless you so that you can bless all the nations. You heard that, right? He says, I will bless you and through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Blessed to be a blessing right there at the beginning. And maybe you're thinking, dude, Abraham was probably a pretty moral dude. And that's why this happened. That is not why God came after Abraham. If you keep reading the story, he throws his wife under the bus a few times. He proves that he's not this paragon of faith. He proves that all of this is about God's grace. And you start to see this pattern develop in scripture. God comes after unlikely people, very undeserving people, tax collectors and prostitutes, adulterers and kings, He comes after them and says, hey, you don't deserve my blessing, but I'm gonna work in you so that you know my love and through you, I'm gonna spread my love to new people. And you start to see this pattern where he doesn't just work through undeserving people, but he starts to put them in situations where it's impossible to get out of it unless God shows up. So that in those moments when they trust God, no one, no one can try to steal God's glory, but it'll be obvious that it was God who did it. So you'll find the people of Israel as slaves a few hundred years after this promise to Abraham. So people are probably thinking, did God really keep his promise? Yes, he comes and he frees them from slavery in the land of Egypt. And he takes them out of Egypt and he, they march out in freedom and he leads them right to the corner, the edge of the Red Sea, which the Red Sea, I haven't been there, but I'm sure it'd be a fun vacation, especially after 400 years of slavery. One problem though At the same time he's leading his people to the edge of the Red Sea, he's working in Pharaoh's heart to make Pharaoh raise up his whole army and pursue the people of Israel. So now you have the Red Sea on one side of the people of Israel and on the other side you have the army of the Egyptians. And the people of Israel look at Moses and say, what the freak? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to die that you brought us out here to die right here? But God did it so that his grace would be on spectacular display as he splits the Red Sea and as the people of Israel cross on dry land, they experience God's deliverance. And as those waves come down and destroy another army, God's glory was on display. Not just so that Jewish people talked about this God, but the nations talked about this God. 
And you'll see this pattern throughout the story. You'll see God send a teenager to go fight a giant. You'll see three men refuse to bow down to worship a false god, and they're thrown into a fiery furnace. You'll see another man named Daniel who, even though at the, at the edict to not pray, he continues to pray, and he gets thrown into the lion's den. In each of those situations, God's grace comes in so that God's glory is made known to all the nations. In each of those situations, powerful men, the most powerful men on planet earth, Nebuchadnezzar and others would send out, if there had been Twitter at that time, the tweet was this, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the one true God, worship him. That's God's story. And then you'll find another guy named Solomon. He was a king, supposed to be the wisest man on the planet at the time. And God allows him to build a temple for the glory of God. And at this temple, he's dedicating it. And this is what Solomon prays. The most important place on, in all of Israel where people are gathered to worship God, this is what Solomon prays. God, maintain the calls that you've given your people Israel that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. So there he is praying and he says, this is our purpose, that everyone would know that you are the one true God. Old Testament, get to the New Testament. Jesus shows up. And his first words are repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe and receive the good news. So it's no longer God speaking through others, but now God comes to the world and says, hey, here's grace. Follow me and I will forgive you. But here's the mission and I will send you out to be fishers of men. So Jesus says, repent and enter the kingdom of God so that I can make you a fisher of men. Blessing for a purpose and then you'll see Jesus, probably one of the weirder moments in the New Testament, Jesus at the temple, throws over some tables, runs out some animals, scares away the money changers, makes a whip. This is mean Jesus, like what's going on? And he starts to teach, and this is what Jesus says, you've turned my house into a den of robbers, but it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. So you realize that the angriest you probably see Jesus in the New Testament is that the Jewish people had taken the very temple that was supposed to be a display of God's grace for his glory among all peoples, and they had filled it with greed and commerce so that as the nations would come, all they would hear were animals, and they wouldn't hear from the very voice of God. Jesus is, dies on the cross, he resurrects, and what he looks at his, when he looks at his disciples, he says this, Go make disciples of all nations, preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name to all peoples, and you will receive my power as you go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So there he is, and he's sitting there with his church, and he knows he needs to be super simple because all of us get really, really, really confused. So he says, here it is, very simple. I have just blessed you with the greatest blessing that will last for eternity, a relationship with God. Don't. Just keep it to yourself. Go, be a blessing to the ends of the earth. And the way the, the book of the Bible ends, Revelation, it says there's a vision. And in that vision, they see every tongue and tribe and family surrounding the throne of God because it's been done. It's just a matter of when. So did we answer the question? Is Psalm 67 an anomaly or is it the very heart of God? I think it's the very heart of God, right? And aren't you thankful that that psalmist prayed that prayer? Because you and I are the answer to that. 
I'm sure you realize that Ankeny at that time would be the nations. We're not at the center of everything God started. We were at the edge of what he was doing and people heard this prayer. They heard this command to go and be a blessing to the nations and they came to America and they preached the gospel so that you and I now are sitting in the middle of it, but it didn't start with you and me. It came to us. So the question is, will we keep going? When I was in college, someone invited me to go to China and it messed up my life. Like I thought I had a plan And then I went there and I said, okay, there is something so different about this place. I grew up in a little town and I was at a community college at the time and I go into a city in China of 20 million people. So 3,000 people in my hometown, 20 million. Needless to say, I was like a deer in the headlights trying to figure out what was going on. And we would go into campuses and meet people and they just wanted to hang out and talk about whatever we were excited about, which was good because we wanted to talk about Jesus. And so I was at this campus and sharing, and one of the girls who was listening to me said, okay, if what you're saying is true, if what you're saying is true, that Jesus is God and he's the only way to be made right before a holy God, what about my grandparents who were Buddhist, who are dead? Like, what about them? Where are they? And why didn't you come sooner? I was 21. I couldn't have done that, but that wasn't the point. And I just remember it feeling like a donkey kick. (laughs) Like all my breath was taken away because she was serious. And I said, you know, I can't change what happened then, but I know that today I'm here and I'm offering life because that's who Jesus is. And I remember getting on the plane after that saying, I can, I'll never be the same. Like I won't be able to just do church in America and forget about the millions of people that are in this city and the millions of people around the world who have never heard the gospel. In a day and age where we can get anywhere in the world in about a day and a half, there are still about 40% of the world who are considered unreached peoples. An unreached people group is a group of people that has so few Christians in it that most in that, in that culture will, will be born, will live, and they will die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. Many of them don't even have the Bible fully translated into their language. And so I know that's just crazy, but that's the reality still today in 2022. So what has God been doing in your life? And have you ever considered how blessed you are? Did you pick your parents? Some of you are like, heck no. I get it, but they didn't pick their parents. And and continuing back, God chose for you to be born here. You shouldn't feel bad about all the opportunities you've had to know him and be blessed, but those blessings have all been given to you to be leveraged for the glory of God. So the blessing and the mission, that's God's heart. But there's a danger that starts to happen. We can see it and feel it. And the danger is this. We love the blessings of God right? When the praises go up, the blessings come down. We're all about it. <laughs> Let's, I mean, we love, we love songs about grace. We love sermons about grace. We love gifts and we love all the ways that God can make a big deal about us. But it is so easy to divorce the blessing from the mission of God. It's so easy to say, yes, God, yes, make much of me. I love it when you make much of me, but I'm going to disconnect that from the very mission that you've given me. The world doesn't terminate on me. I'm not the center of the universe, but some reason I love to act as if it is real. 
So here's the question, why? Why, it's not just you or me, it's like we do it as humans. We take and we disconnect it from what God intended it to be. So where does that come from? I think you have to go back. You have to go, go, go back all the way to the garden and realize that the very lie that, that Satan spoke into creation is the only lie he speaks. Even today, he has many variations and many languages for it, but there's one lie that he whispered to Adam and Eve, and it's the lie that you and I are tempted to believe every day, and the lie is this. God's not good. God's not for you. And God doesn't want what's best for you. God's not good. God's not for you. He doesn't want what's best for you. So you start to hear that enough. Even as a Christian, you can say, okay, you know what? I don't really think he wants the best version of my life. So I'll take the blessings, but I can't trust him with my whole life. I got to hold on to it. And so that lie creates this deep, deep disconnect where we're not saying this makes no sense. You're everything. God, here's my life. Bless me and work through me for your glory, not mine. So you take that lie and you see how it's worked itself out into cultures throughout history, and then you put it into a culture like the one you and I live in. And man, has there ever been a place or a time like the American story where we have PhDs in making the story all about us? It's all about me. Everything's about me. That's what we've heard since we were young. We've drank the Kool-Aid that you need to live your best life. And if anyone gets in the way of that, push them out of the way because you only get one chance. and You're free. Life, liberty, and happiness is what God owes you because you're entitled to that. And so that sinks into the church too. You sprinkle in some Christian ideas and all of a sudden you have a people that are ripe to say, yes, God, bless me, but I'm not gonna consider how I'm supposed to obey and join the king of the universe and making much of his name among all peoples. Can I give you two quick reasons that disconnecting the blessing from the mission of God doesn't work? The first is this. The material blessings that we have in our world and the relational blessings that we have with people, those things were never meant to be the ultimate blessing that God gave us. They were only meant to be springboards to bring us closer to God so that we can see that the greatest blessing of all is God himself. I mean, it doesn't take much to see that what's better, the things that are created or the one who creates those things. And so the more we look to careers and our bodies and money and vacations and reputation, the more we look to relationships, the more we're gonna ask them to provide things for us that they will never be able to provide. Because they can't satisfy the deep eternal longings that people who were created in the image of God have. I mean, we were created to behold the glory of God. We were created to know him and be like him and then go spread that same glory and grace to others. And if we settle for the very things he created, we are missing so much of the life that we have been redeemed for. So the material things never satisfy because they are never meant to. They were always meant to be blessings that we serve other people with or blessings that we say, wow, God, thank you that you're kind enough to give that to me. But if I had nothing else, I still praise you. And then you add in the idea of scarcity, the idea that you can never do enough for other people to believe that you're really done. You can never have enough to believe that you have enough. So whatever you did yesterday is not enough for today and certainly not enough for tomorrow. There is a deep despair that starts to grow in the heart of people 
who say, God, I will take everything from you, but I will not live for you. Because if you have everything like most of us have in America to some extent, and you're still feeling that deep echo of missing, of, of, dis, of purposeless life, what, do you, what else are we supposed to do? So that's the first reason it doesn't work. The second reason it doesn't work is that God won't let it. He won't let it work. You know why? Because God loves you too much to let you use him as some mere house servant in pursuit of your own goals. God won't serve as your butler to facilitate your idolatry because he is not a means to the greater ends. He is the end. And so the universe doesn't work with you and I at the center. And so God is always seeking to disrupt that in his perfect holiness and love. So you'll see Jesus come in and tell stories like one in Luke 14 where he tells this parable because people are like, well, we can't wait. We can't wait to be at the harvest. We can't wait to be at the great banquet with, with the Messiah. And Jesus says, let me tell you a parable. There's this master and he throws a big party and he goes and he sends out the invite, says, hey, the party's ready, come to the banquet. And the people don't come. And you know the reasons they don't come? One guy says, hey, I just bought some cows. I gotta go check out my cows today. Please excuse me. Another guy's like, hey, I have a farm. I gotta check out my farm. Please excuse me. Another dude says, I just got married. Please excuse me. All like simple things, none of them sinful, all of them very benign and yet it keeps them from the banquet of knowing Jesus. And so, and so the master of the banquet sends out invitations to everyone in the streets, everyone, in, everyone on the roads, everyone on the margins, and they all come in. And he says, none of those people who rejected my initial invitation will be in the kingdom of God. Cows, farms, and marriages keep people from hearing the voice of God and keep people from truly knowing the blessing of God. Because if you take the blessings of God and disconnect them from the purpose of God, those blessings become curses over you and me because they become our judgment before a holy God who says, look at how I've loved you. Why are you not sharing that? A story I think that kind of captures this in a very visceral way. There's a passage in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings chapter seven. The people of Israel are under attack. There's this army that has besieged the city of Samaria and they're not letting any food go in or anything, anyone come out. So people are starving. They're starving. Like on the menu, if you go to a restaurant during this time, the only two things you could eat were donkey head and dove poop. Not good stuff, right? Like if you go to a meat market later and that's what they're trying to sell, you need to run. Like, I don't, I mean, has anyone had donkey head? No, good, don't raise your hand, that's weird. So they're starving. So there's these four lepers, Jewish lepers who are living outside the gate and they're starving because no one has anything to give to them. So they say, you know what? We're gonna go to the enemy army and we're gonna go see if they'll give us food because if, if they kill us, well, whatever, that's faster than starving to death. So they go to the enemy camp, this great army that had surrounded the city. And when they get there, you know what they find? Nothing, at least no one. In the middle of the night, God's army had chased off the enemy army. And they start to find all of the food and the drink and the treasure from this enemy army. And they go into a tent and they eat and feast and they take treasure and they hide it. And then they go back in and they eat and feast and take more treasure out to hide it. Then they come in again to do it a third time. 
And this is what they say to each other. I have notes somewhere. Here we go. They say, this is wrong. This day is a day of good news. And if we are silent and wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. They say, this is wrong. This day is a day of good news for all people. So very different context than what we live in, but very much the same principle. They had found something that they did not deserve. And they had found something that the people in the city were starving and dying for. You and I have found something that we don't deserve. And when we hide it, instead of living freely to give it to others, this good news becomes bad news. So how do we not fall into that danger of disconnecting the blessing from the purpose? We have to see the power that God gives us in the gospel. In Psalm 67, in the middle of the psalm, the most important verse is verse four. It says this, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. So let the nations be glad and sing for joy because you're a just king. So hear this, hear this. The reason the news of Jesus is so important is that everyone deeply longs to be under the rule of righteous generosity and compassion and fairness. And they're saying this king, the king that is coming, God, He's good. He doesn't take bribes. He's fair. He's righteous. He protects the weak. He serves the marginalized. He comes after his people, not to hurt them, but to serve them. This is great news. People want to hear this. But do you know how Jesus being a just king turns from great news to terrible news? When you start to consider, if Jesus is just, then he's obligated to be holy and he's obligated to judge sin. He's obligated to not turn away when we are rebellious and tell me a greater sin than a people who would commit high treason against their king and creator who gives them everything. And so all of a sudden the news that God is coming and he's fair and righteous becomes horrible news for you and for the nations because how will we stand under that type of judgment? Like how will we stand when our lives are put before a holy God and we see how often we've fallen short of the glory of God? And this is where the gospel becomes not just real, but it becomes true and beautiful because this is where Jesus comes in and he says, I will stand. I will stand for the nations. I will stand in their place and you start to appreciate how can a holy God bless sinful people? By cursing his son. How is it that you and I don't live under the curse and we aren't judged in the curse for eternity? Because the one who deserves all blessing, Jesus Christ, came under the curse so that you and I could drink from the blessings of God. How is it that you and I get grace? Because Jesus took justice. How is it that you and I get the face of God shining over us? Because Jesus, when he was on the cross, experienced the opposite of that. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing not the face of God shining over him, but the judgment of God. That's the gospel. And that gospel is not just for you and me because we live where churches are everywhere. 
That gospel is for the 1.3 billion people in India who live in a country with physical idols every place in their city. They need to hear that there's a God who came not to curse them but to bless them because he, at great cost to his son, has freed you and me to make much of him for all of eternity. So how do we respond? How do we start to take the gospel in so that it starts to change us so that we don't just take the blessing and disconnect it from the mission? I'm gonna give you three quick things. First, we pray. We join the psalmist and we pray. This whole psalm is a prayer, right? So let's pray with him. Let's pray the same words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we believe we've been, we've been blessed. You've been gracious to us, but we disconnect that from your mission. So let our prayer start with confession. Let us confess that, that we're guilty at times of saying, man, I will take all the blessings, but I won't bless others. Let us repent of how selfish that can be and how we're robbing the nations of joy and we're robbing ourselves of joy and making much of God and seeing his praise. Let's confess that and repent and let's pray that instead of wanting to take the blessings and disconnect it from the mission, let's pray that God starts to put in us a holy fire that makes us so glad in Jesus, we, can only, we have to speak about him. Wherever we are, right? Whatever we love, whatever we're excited about, we want other people to enter into it. So let's start praying that the beauty and power and glory of God changes us in such a way that we have to speak about him. It's like this, this thing that's on your chest, it's in your stomach, and it's coming out and we have to talk about Jesus because of how beautiful he is. Let's pray for that. Let's pray that we would see his power, his glory, his grace, his saving ways, and that it would be so supernaturally obvious of all the ways that we can start to be a witness for that. And let's not just pray for ourselves or for the ways we can witness, but let's start praying for the nations because this prayer has not been fully answered yet. We live in a time right now, we're at the last bit of Ramadan. It's a whole month of fasting and prayer and worship for Muslims around the world. Hundreds of millions of Muslims who are disconnected from the true God, who don't know Jesus Christ. But right now, from sunup to sundown, they're fasting and praying for God to give them visions and give them truth. Let's pray tonight that as they finish up Ramadan, that they don't hear visions from Allah about Muhammad, but they see visions of Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Come on, let's pray for that. We, there's stories, hundreds of years of stories, of, especially during Ramadan, Muslims hearing the words that Jesus speaks in Revelation 1. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who died and was resurrected. Come to me. And then, they, and then they hear the words of the gospel from someone who has to go preach. So let's pray for Muslims everywhere that God would not only give them dreams, but then he would send Christians, missionaries, and local people to say, Jesus is the one true God, and that God would save them. Let's pray for that. We have SALT teams this summer, spending the summer in Muslim countries. My family and I will be in a country for two months around Muslim students. Let's pray that God raises up Luke 10 to realities. Right? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Is that just a prayer for DMAC? No, it's true for here, but it's true also for the nations. Man, let's pray, let's pray for a place like Japan, a country with 128 million people in it, and 127 million of them are lost. 
Like that's less than 1%, right? 128 million people and 127 million of them don't know Jesus. Let's pray that God starts a movement in Japan. We have a team moving next week to Osaka, Japan to minister the gospel to students and community members. Let's pray that that country, that's not the story anymore moving forward, but that Japan becomes a light in the darkest places. Amen? Can we pray that? Can we, can we pray? And can we not just pray, but can we plan to obey? This psalm is about obedience. This psalm is not about just trying to stoke your fires for a day, but this psalm is giving you a picture into the very heart of God for all of eternity, that he has designed you and me to be people who behold his glory and then go spread that spectacular glory for his glory to all peoples. So let's plan to obey. Like planning to disobey a holy and loving God is the stupidest thing you could ever do. Like hear that. I wanna cuss how stupid that is. So let's not plan to be dumb, let's plan to obey. Let's plan to say, yes, Lord, I have one life. And instead of the American dream that doesn't work, I wanna live the dream that Jesus is with me and for me. And I wanna join Jesus and his people to make much of his name wherever you are sending me. Let us plan to obey and let's take baby steps. You're not gonna probably move to a Muslim country tomorrow, but you can take steps tonight to tell someone else, you know what, I wanna start being a witness right here. I wanna do it at DMAC, I wanna do it with my community, I wanna do it with my family, but I also wanna start saying, what's next, Lord, what's next? Maybe it's a summer team next year. Maybe you go for two months somewhere. Maybe you're graduating or you're going somewhere else, but when you finish school, you're like, hey, I've heard about this overseas residency for two years with a group like Campus to Campus. Maybe that's the next step. But here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Plan to obey and plan to go to the ends of the earth until God tells you to stay. Plan to go. Plan to go to places where people literally have never heard the name of Jesus until God tells you to stay. And if he tells you to stay, rejoice and sin. But if he tells you to go, realize that that's not a death sentence, that that is the blessing of God through you to people who need to hear Jesus. Why would we do the opposite? Why would we plan to stay until he tells us to go when there's so much evidence that the nations have one hope in Jesus and that Jesus gave the church one command to make disciples of all nations? Why would we say, I'm staying until you make it clear that I have to go? That is to twist the heart of God in the words of the Great Commission. So let's plan, let's plan to go. And lastly, let's believe the promise. This psalm ends with a promise. Let's, see, let's believe the promise in verse six and seven. It's a promise. It's not maybe, but this is for sure. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Guys, that is a promise. Jesus will return one day and he will make all things new. Everything that sin has touched, he will reconcile. That's the promise of God. Let us believe it. There's a story of a, a man who was born into an unrich people group. His family was Buddhist, so he was Buddhist. And his family were in politics and so he was in politics. And when his country was invaded, he was arrested and put into a prison camp. He was tortured and starved because of who his family was. And he was released, 
He had so much hate in his heart over why these things would happen, and he thought if there was a real God, he would not let these things happen. And at 36 years old, this man, as a Buddhist, never had heard the love of God died from organ failure due to the starvation and torture that happened. His daughter was born into that. She died... She was three when her father died, and so she, was, she grew up into, in, in poverty, and she worked at factories to get herself to college, and at the end of her 20s, she heard about Jesus and accepted him. And she started to share with her family, and many of her family members started to accept Christ. And her son is the salt director at St. Paul, Minnesota. And his grandfather was that man who died in an unrich people group. He was South Korean. And when his grandfather was born, South Korea was unreached. But within a generation, the church heard the command of God and obeyed, and the blessing of God came over South Korea, and now it is one of the largest Christian nations in the world, and it's the second largest missionary country in the world, second only to America. That's the change from one generation to the next. So guys, we can go. We can go. We've been blessed to be a blessing to the ends of the earth. Pray with me, please. Our Father, our Holy King, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We rejoice that this high priestly prayer of you making your face shine over us, of you giving us peace and being gracious to us has come to reality in our lives because of Jesus alone. We, will, we don't want to pass that. We want to stop for a moment and rejoice in the gospel that sets us free. A gospel that says God has loved us because he loves us. Not because of what we'll do or what we can earn, but simply because God is that kind of God. And yet, Lord, we know that your love was not meant to stop with us, but it was meant to go through us. And so I pray that right now people would sense the holy privilege that it is to go across the street and across the globe with the one message that sets people free. And I pray that you would raise up men and women in this room to make much of your name among nations that have never met you. And I pray that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.